Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by BetSperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. More bonus content, Andy. Uh, the Buccaneers broke my heart last night, so football season is officially over. It is now over. NBA season. Here we go. NBA officially tips off on Tuesday, right? Tuesday? Tuesday. Um, and, and we would be remiss. We would be remiss, right? You're an NBA guy. You oh, bet yeah, it all year. Yeah. Of course. I'll, I will bet NBA at least 200 out of the next 365 days, I would guess. Um, so we might as well do a preview. We did. We covered hockey so fairly with Hockey Andy, and we talked uh, a little boxing. So only fair that we give NBA its due shine as we get ready to tip off the 2021-2022 season uh and to help us break down the nba we welcome nba hardcore handicapper extraordinaire guy i've had a, a handful of very high level conversations with uh via his podcast only uh fair again to bring him on the deep dive give him the opportunity to kind of flex a little bit in front of our audience in terms of uh, his NBA acumen. And that is Josh at punt underscore school on Twitter. Josh, welcome to the deep dive. Thank you, Drew. That's quite the intro there. Uh, I'm not sure my knowledge. I do what I, I, do what I can. That. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Uh, I appreciate you though. Appreciate having me on and uh, let's talk some NBA. It's, it's almost here already, which is crazy. Yeah, this is yeah. We need to we need to do it's Friday afternoon for us here, so we just we, we need to hammer out some NBA before the weekend starts. Give everybody the whole weekend to take and Monday really. Monday we have if you guys want to watch this, you have a whole weekend, a long weekend to get ready for the NBA. Yet I am not ready at all. I have a ton of questions, and as we've mentioned numerous numerous times over the years, when me and Drew get into it on like halftime shows, or I feel like when do we talk NBA? We've done some NBA podcasts, but it feels like it just playoffs. Yeah, once we get playoffs, we get into playoffs. it. I feel like it 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 trickles into halftime shows sometimes where it's just like I have quite or somebody brings up a game and we get talking about it. And as everybody knows, Drew does a lot more with the NBA. I stick to the amateur side of things on that sport particularly. So I am casual Andy and I will be just moderating. I've prepared some questions that were in my brain. If anybody is in here live, and again, if you're watching on Twitter. You cannot ask me a question. And by me, <laughs> I mean Drew and Josh here who are actually going to be answered. If you are watching this on Twitter right now, hop over to the YouTube stream where you can actually enter a question. If you have some questions, pop them in. We'll probably stick to that towards the ha second half of the podcast. We'll go do my questions first because I'm more important. We'll start with those and then get to anything you guys have. And if you have anything after the stream is off, Throw them in the comments, throw them in the Twitter feed, wherever, and I'm sure Drew and uh, Josh will be more than happy to get into some high-level NBA conversations with you after that. So let's start with the rule change that I didn't realize was a rule change <laughs> until like a week ago when everybody showed the same exact clip, not this time. When uh, we do the stupid thing where you jump up and you kick your legs out, and you throw, you pretend like you're th you're taking a reasonable shot yeah, from well beyond the arc. The Harden. Yeah. I mean, it's I didn't want to call out you know James Harden, but it is for <laughs> him. But I mean, it, it it has been even for somebody who doesn't watch a ton of NBA. Like that's it was a bit annoying. Unless you've bet on them or you're a fan of the team that has Harden, it's an annoying kind of thing. I'm glad they changed that. That said, like I think most people would agree with my take that I'm happy the rule has changed. It makes for a better brand of basketball. But from a handicapping standpoint, does it really change anything? Whether you know, maybe outside of maybe player props. I mean, obviously, I, I would think maybe a little bit with player props. But from a grand scheme of team player level, anything are you taking this into account at all when you're handicapping this year? Start with Josh. Sorry. Um. <laughs> Yeah, look, I don't think it's going to impact it all that much, if I'm perfectly honest. I think there's going to be a teething process, maybe, you know, the first couple of weeks where players still try it and gauge exactly what they can get away with and what they can't. Um, my issue with, like, a rule change like this is it's just so subjective, right? It comes down to interpretation on the night and who's officiating on the night. And 
when you get into that sort of granular aspect of things, it, it can become frustrating for viewers and for fans as well if it's not consistent on a nightly basis. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch the first couple of weeks and the implementation of it. In terms of it impacting uh, scoring in particular, obviously, I personally don't think that's going to be the case. I think, you know, these guys are still going to find ways to score the basketball hard and in particular, I mean, you you look at the fact that the rule change is necessary, is, sorry, targeting superstar players, right? Like that's kind of the crux of it here. Those guys are good enough that they'll figure it out and they'll still score the basketball or they'll find other ways for the team to score the basketball. Um, my only, you know, of the, that list of players, I think the only question mark I have is Trey Young, right? Like he didn't shoot the ball well last year sure. at all, at all. Um, you know, does he become more of a facilitator now? And like you said, that's something that probably impacts props, I think in particular in these first uh, few weeks, even the first couple months of the season. Um, but for me, I don't think it's necessarily going to impact how I, I look at totals or how I judge totals, at least for now anyway. If I find that in the first few weeks, it's making drastic changes um, and that they're calling basically anything and everything. And uh, I think the one thing as well to look out for is not just the non-calls, but which ones are they going to turn into offensive fouls? As well? I was just going to say, are they going to start calling it the other way? And Drew, you can see Drew yeah. cringing when you when you said like when you use the word consistency with uh, yeah. the referees. <laughs> like we had every sport, we we seem to struggle with that. And I think that's the biggest thing. And Drew, what it, I mean, do you, have you seen that at all? Have you guys, either of you, have you watched much preseason and seen are they turning this around in the offense and calling offensive fouls with these or not? So it's been a refreshing hands off from the refs. In the preseason so far in general but that's usually the way the preseason goes um mm. and you, it's like it's a weird delicate balance of changing rules in any sport as you well know because on one hand like do we want to improve the quality of the product of course but on the other hand do you really want to put more of the decision making into the hands of the referees absolutely not uh and consistency is a huge problem as it is across all at least the north american sports that i bet on outside of tennis i suppose tennis is relatively fairly officiated um but yeah the uh the last thing i think you really want is putting more power in the hands of the referees and that's what this kind of does um i think from a macro scoring standpoint in the nba there are other things that i think are going to be like 10 to 100x important <laughs> relative to this particular wrinkle um and honestly i probably might, i don't even know if i'll bet totals this year i completely stayed away last year because i kind of went into it like i don't really know how this is gonna go and i made some numbers and i tested my numbers in the first couple weeks and i was like oh my god i'd be losing my ass if i was playing these totals so i'm just gonna stay away i don't even actually think uh, until the playoffs i did much total betting at all last year in the playoffs, then you caught some overreaction, underreaction spots that were pretty solid. But in the regular season, totals were extremely hard last year to win. And um, there was even the market makers. I can tell you just kind of following the lines and where there was momentum, like over the course of the season last year, I think the market makers got beat on totals in general. Um, and, you know, a ton of it was kind of came down to like the game changed a little bit just in terms of offensive efficiency um talked about this with josh specifically <laughs> at length in the middle early middle of the season actually it helped make me make some good bets throughout the middle of the year um you know offensive efficiency and three-point shooting was at just an absolutely impossibly high uh percentage and some of that was coaching some of that was players but a lot of it was there was no fans distracting the shooters and yeah. it just made it that much easier to generate offense you had teams like the clippers putting up offensive efficiency that i would have thought was impossible a few years prior um and now you know the in reintrodu reintroducing fans um having a full season of travel uh after a short off season my gut is that saying that the scoring is going to be surprisingly low and that you may have some under 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 month first month of the season but i don't know that i'm gonna ultimately take action on that i'm probably just gonna watch unders go 60 and 30 and then curse curse myself for it but that's, that's kind of what i that's kind of the read i got yeah and, and what is and josh will probably know this right off the top of his head it feels like like the gap between the end of the finals and tuesday how much shorter is that than a normal <laughs> than a normal year you know obviously we had the bubble year that led into the goofy year and now we go from a goofy year back to a pretty normal start for the season like how much shorter was the offseason this year 
Well, it's not even just I mean, the shortened was, was off it? season. It's not even just the shortened off season as well, right? Like you said, it's the follow-on from the bubble. So like they had a shortened off season after the bubble. Oh, yeah, the cumulative effects of it, yeah. Correct, yeah. So you, you're talking like over the course of two full seasons, I think they've had, it's three and a half months total mm-hmm. between those two seasons. Um, yeah, that's, they lost. That's going to be yeah. huge. Yeah, this that's particular. Be, you know, that's, it's this good particular... for like teams like the Timberwolves. Who just haven't had to? <laughs> you haven't had to play all those extra games in the postseason. We'll get to the Timberwolves. Don't worry. We'll get to the Timberwolves. It's it uh, in cumulatively they lost about a month and a week. The finals would usually wrap around July or June fifteenth, June some yeah. June fifteenth, right. and they wrapped this year around July twentieth. Um, this year to complicate matters even more, they played the Olympics <laughs> in between uh, in a year where we weren't even expecting Olympics. Um, and so some players basically got no off season, you know, anyone that was like, especially who logged reasonable minutes in the Olympics got virtually no, and played in the playoffs, got no off season, other players, other teams, uh, you know, you saw a lot of tanking last year at the end of the year. And so sort of the, the dregs of the NBA, um, and last, you know, for last season, those guys are probably pretty rested and just kind of kind of thinking back to like some teams that were prepared to make a leap that didn't go to the bubble that really took advantage of their rest differential the hawks immediately come to mind um you know the hawks got off to a pretty decent start last year and i felt like a lot of it was because they didn't have that uh you know the bubble fatigue still kind of shadowing over their season um Ultimately, then they slid, fired their coach, hired a new coach, and way exceeded the expectations. The rest, yeah, the rest, um, is, history. The rest is history. But uh, you know, there probably are a couple of teams that were lottery teams last year that their big time players didn't log minutes late into the season that got a real deal off season uh, to regroup, to work on their game, to you know own their bodies, blah, 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 and that they're going to come out and be pretty good in this first first month of the season. And so I think as far as priors go, like I think you can pretty well circle your kind of known teams towards the top who are good and not really adjust your priors too aggressively one way or the other on those teams. And then the ones that are at the bottom, if you're seeing stuff like they're surprisingly performing above expectation, I think you're going to have to be pretty aggressive adjusting your priors on those. Sure. Yeah, a bit of a I, I lied right off the bat. Anyone who caught the beginning and said I was going to go through all my questions. This is just a this is just a better this is just a better question. So I'm going to steal this from the from the live chat from Mr. Birdie here, and he is and I'll have to take his word or to her. Birdie might be a girl's name. I don't know. We are seeing a rush of home team success to start the NHL season. Obviously, we're only a couple days in, but and I'll again take their word for it. I don't know that might be true. Do you see that happening early in the NBA? Home dog money line might be good early. Kind of spinning off of that too is what were you guys doing with God? What what was the season? Thirteen and four. They're saying home home teams on the ice so far. What was the season before the bubble season? It's like yeah. 20, 2018? How far back do I have to go to say not bubble season? Nineteen into twenty was the pre bubble. Yeah. Okay. The, so. Are you going to be back for, for home court advantage? Are you going to be back to those kind of numbers? Or what, what has been the progression from that season into obviously the bubble season was Lord no, I don't even care what you did with home court because it didn't exist and you probably didn't do anything into last year, into back into this year. What what has been the flow and like what's the plan for that? Or are you just gonna kind of have to do some quick ass adjusting this year, Josh? Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. That's one that I've sort of been uh, bouncing ideas off a couple of people, uh, Drew. I know I touched base with you on this one actually a couple of days ago, just to sort of gauge, um, I guess, a collective idea on where people sit. I think I'm being a little bit more aggressive with home court advantage, and I kind of tried to compare it as well to like a couple of other sports, I bet. And, um, you know, as you guys know, when it comes to the NFL in particular, like what's home field advantage really worth this year? I feel like that number just keeps dropping by the week. Uh, and, you know, the, the flip side is, like, I bet um, European soccer quite aggressively. The early stages of that season, in, in the Premier League in particular, home teams were absolutely annihilating things. And that came off of a season where there was no fans at all. 
uh, and it was you know a record low win percentage for home teams as a result they only won 38 percent of games last season wow. <laughs> um which is yeah incredible and and the first month of this season it was sitting at about 57 percent of home teams were winning games outright uh so kind of i guess you know trying to project what happens in the nba based off of that it makes it more difficult because you're getting two kind of polar opposite extremes if you will but i'm still kind of of the belief that i think that the nba home court is going to matter in the early goings of this season um so i've weighted my home court advantage pretty aggressively as a result um and it's sort of showing in the opening week of, of early markets that i've seen where i've i've sort of picked up notable edges on most of the home teams um be them favorites or underdogs as well for that matter I, I wouldn't be against the idea of kind of taking some live home dogs in the first few weeks of the season I think it's um it has the potential for you know rewards to be reaped if you will um assuming you know you don't go crazy with it and just blind bet all of them but yeah, I can definitely see the first few weeks of the season either working in my favor in terms of the uh, adjustments <laughs> I've made for home court being relevant or, uh, yeah, I'm going to be making the quick adjustment the other way and realizing that maybe it's it's not as impactful as it was pre-bubble. Yeah. Sure. And I like how you, I like how you're obviously, I mean, but it goes without saying you're, you're factoring it in a little heavier than the actual market. If you're just automatically showing a little bit of edge leaning yeah. towards home teams. And I, I like that you're willing to trust your process and just say like, I'm willing to be a little off market with this, but also I'm willing to rein that in. If it's, if it's not going well, I'm, I'm willing to admit it because there's, there's no, there's no uh, trophy for being stubborn and fighting against this. Like if you're wrong, admit it quick, make your adjustments and start winning some actual money. That is the, uh, the key to this. Drew, what about you with uh, home court? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's cool that uh, we have Larry Bird in the chat. I'm assuming that's Birdie. Uh, Larry Bird seems like the kind of guy who would use a, a pseudonym like Birdie to get his questions in. It's also cool. Larry Bird bets hockey and knows what the uh, the home, home money line. Uh, big Bruins guy. Yeah, big Bruins guy. Um, is he a Bruins guy? Yeah, I guess probably. Um, the uh, ultimately though the uh, the home court Indiana advantage doesn't have a team. Home court advantage in the NBA is funny, man, because it's almost more like park factor in baseball than it is like a like a home court advantage kind of conceptually in like say college basketball right in college basketball if you want to give everybody a four to five percent win bump uh because they're home you know that's fine um in the nba i think you have to be a lot more specific to the city the arena uh you know the the type of team uh, because there are kind of unique, funky factors with a lot of these places. Um, typically, you have massive home court advantage in Utah and Denver. Why would that be? Because they're at altitude. <laughs> like That's not really a very complicated thesis. But if you're just using a blanket home court number for all of your games, you're probably going to bet on road teams in those cities and you're going to lose over the balance of the season. <laughs> um, similarly, the NBA tends to sequence games where they go through the Rockies and they make teams travel to one and then the other. And the second of those in back in sequence can be impactful or the team could have, you know, adjusted you know, gone early, adjusted to the first one. And then by the time they're playing the second game, the, the, you know, the effects aren't quite as large. So kind of paying attention to what teams are doing travel wise makes, uh, makes a difference. You almost need to kind of have it as sort of one of the knobs in the, uh, as you go game by game handicapping, you know, uh, is a team staying overnight in LA last game of the road trip before they go home. And, uh, you know, last chance to, uh, to see the side chicks before, uh, you know, back back to the home chicks, you know, like there's for sure an element of that in the NBA that is not non-trivial, um, you know, is, you know they, and uh, in general, if there are, you know, star-loaded teams with guys who are kind of of that proclivity, then uh, you probably need to be paying attention to when they go through LA, when they go through New York, when they go through Miami. Lord help um, when us. they go through Good. Toronto. <laughs> Lord, Lord help us when they get a Vegas team. Yes, right. Sure enough. <laughs> Summer league's um, already a mess. Yeah. So paying attention to those kind of little funky park factor esque, arena factor esque uh, home court, I think is important. But uh, from a general macro sense, I get the same feeling that it will um, 
the shooting thing for an instance right like if if what we saw last year with no fans led to shooting being outrageous i personally think just looking at and I, I say think this i looked at the data like it was a lot of it was row team shooting was better um it wasn't like so much so that it was like clearly obvious that, that was what was driving it um but hand in hand higher scoring road teams did well like that you know so, you, you, you that the the reason behind it potentially being that uh you know you had uh less distraction when you were lining up your shot i think is real and so you could see home teams uh, do a little bit better in general, being more familiar with the setting, with their three-point shots, even with the fans, and then the road team struggling a little more in that regard, and that might be the the difference you need right there to win a bet in the NBA. Yeah, uh, and just quickly, actually, um, to interject just on what you said there in terms of the fan impact as well, that's interesting and worth sort of noting for people for shooting. I think we saw an example of it as well in the playoffs that it was a real thing. Um, you'd look at like the Milwaukee Bucks regular season three-point shooting and it was you know lights out as most sort of teams were on a nightly basis it seems um but those final couple of rounds of the playoffs and you know i guess this also comes down to how you interpret the data was it nerves and, and this, the occasion for them or was it the fact that they were then playing in packed arenas again um but it absolutely nosedived the three points uh shooting percentages and their splits across the board so does that carry over now, like you said, into the full regular season with fans back in arenas again? Yeah, yeah it'll be very interesting to follow. No, for sure. I get what you're saying there, too. And, yeah, there's so many factors. Like, just like you said, the nerves, the moment, or it's like, hey, you're just playing really good teams all the time now. Like, are mm -hmm. these, you know, it depends. It depends. Different people feel differently about three-point defense. I know that's become a bit of a topic here too i don't i don't know if that's something i'm going to get into that might be over my head since i mean my next question is just are the lakers prices right what what's the what is this team like i just quickly looked at the the pricing and i get yeah you have a super team in brooklyn and i mean at least two-thirds of a super team in brooklyn and you do have it in la but like the the west seems to have some decent competent teams and you have a even you know what was it like even money to win the Pacific like plus 150 to win the conference and the and this I'm just pulling this from a market making book the Lakers plus 369 to win the title uh, who else is on this team besides the big three names and like just one well, you, you, you look at like the tail risk of uh, a superstar who's aging uh, another superstar who's had Fragile. Lots of lots and lots of injuries, and then a third superstar who you've never seen play with these two first superstars, and can be a bit of a, you know, Ooh. I don't know what the uh, word and... for him is. Like it, it just seems like does this all does this all jive to becoming like there's a Let's... long tail to this being like a five seed, right? Go go check out some Russell Westbrook aging curves, and then come back and tell me with the straight face that he's a superstar. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that that's where I'm at too. Like, yeah, the stats are fun. Like, yeah, he's a stat monster and he's good. Like, he's a freak athlete. The guy could probably mm -hmm. play multiple. Like, he could play minor league baseball. Like, just put him out there. Like, he's a freak. Yeah. I get it. But like, does this all jive? Because I'm. That's what I'm saying. As far as there's a long tail to this team being like all of a sudden, oh, we have a road series in, in, in you know, the first round of the playoffs. Like, what happened? Well, a few things happened. And I guess frig fragility, like you mentioned it around AD, but fragility in the in the Nassib sense as far as this team has multiple choke points to be like, oh, no, like this isn't a very good team right now after an injury or just uh, the fact that, like, what's the bench look like? What's the playoff rotations look like? Talk, talk. Uh, I mean, it sounds like we're on the same page here, but, I mean, your reasons and, and how, how do you attack this if you are looking at anything in the futures market or throughout the season? How, you, how would you attack the Lakers or attack the West, Josh? Yeah, look, I couldn't be more in agreement with you. I don't think like I'm selling the Lakers at this point. Uh, I think the market price is really, really wrong on them. Um, of course, like, you know, you have LeBron and you're going to be in the upper echelon of the conversation immediately, regardless of who the hell is on the roster with him. Uh, but, you know, I think we're finally seeing as well that LeBron's body isn't quite what it was. And that's got to be a factor too. Like he's not going to play 82 games this regular season. That's a fact. Um if he plays 60 to 65, 
um, an AD plays his usual 60 to 65 games in this regular season, like, yeah, I think the ceiling for the team might be a four seed, um, you know, let alone where the floor of the team might might end up because the drop-off after those two is quite drastic. And, you know, I don't have Russ anywhere near those two. Um, so it's like, you know, AD LeBron and then a drop to Russ and then another drop to like the remainder tail end of this roster. Which is kind of just been like Kuzma ain't walking through that door. <laughs> it, it just feels like a mesh of a team, right? Like they've kind of just gone and got all these veterans and just hope that it's going to fit together. But you bring in like Mellow, and if you have like Mellow and Russ sharing the floor, like you have these two negative EV defenders together, and you're kind of just hoping that AD can hold it down in the paint for them and keep it going. And then, you know, you still got. Anthony Davis refusing to play the five, like again, publicly making it known um, that he refuses to do so during the regular season. So now you're probably asking, good for his health though, too. Like he, he knows he's like, I just maybe, get hurt day one. <laughs> maybe that is a factor, but I mean, that now means Russ has to play with AD and a, and a five, like a Deandre Jordan and just clog the paint. And then yeah. you've got LeBron trying to as well, I guess do the same. The most efficient LeBron lineups we know is is LeBron and four shooters basically. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And and you got like none really. He, you know, what what are we hoping for? I guess in some of those other acquisitions like Kendrick Nunn, you know, Malik Monk. Like, do you really think that these guys can just come in, shoot the ball, and, and be efficient for them? I mean, I think there's a reason that like these these guys were sort of left behind, if you will, in free agency and whatnot. Like. There's a reason Kendrick Nunn wasn't playing in Miami. Um, even when he was having good regular seasons come playoffs, he was just an absolute non-factor in the rotations. And I think Spolstra did that for a very uh, very legitimate reason. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that transpires, I think, in L.A. But, yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more in that this, the pricing for the team is just it's wrong. And, and it's not even just that the Western Conference is competitive. The Pacific Division is really competitive. Like the Phoenix Suns are a really good team. The Warriors are going to be a very competitive team. They might be the third best team in their own division, let alone the conference. I think ultimately they probably finish top two. But in, Lakers, in the West, in the no, in the Pacific. <laughs> I think I think that I was going to say a strong um, disagreement from you. Drew's, Drew's full on the Lakers bandwagon. Well, this is I mean the Lakers honestly. Like, uh, we're kind of, I'm, you know, I've gone through plenty of cycles of NBA opinion at this point through betting year after year after year after year. And I'm back down to the like counting LeBron out, which is usually when he goes on and averages a triple double and, and, uh, gets the easy one seed, wins 62 games with this team. Um, so keep, keep in mind, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, he has a tendency to prove the haters wrong. <laughs> and for sure, um, the market, the market futures, I agree, are priced ex- like they're basically priced like we don't want your Lakers money. Go bet that somewhere else. Like it's the prices are just really, really uh, not favorable, especially for a team that's expected to win 52 games. Um, and I think in a competitive conference. Um, and I think they're the real the you look at some of the kind of the models that are out there, the 538s and the you know the public stuff that uh, you know some of the um, uh, you know the data scientists just kind of crunch chug and, and chuck out there. Uh, you know, they have the Lakers kind of in the middle of the pack in the West. And reality is probably somewhere in between. Um, Anthony Davis may play more games than we expect this year, in which case he's probably a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, the guys that we got in Nunn and, and Monk might have lots of space uh, and operate fine as shooters around uh, the core of this team. Uh, I like Talon. Uh, I like THT in general. Horton Tucker as a uh, kind of a nice role player and a second unit guy. At least uh, you know can create a little bit of his own offense. I like Trevor Reza in general for the role he will provide. Neither of those guys are available to start the season. So it's uh, it's going to be a lot of, you're going to get a lot of Kent Bazemore minutes. You might get a lot of uh, Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard minutes. Um, yeah. Still in the lead, huh? <laughs> this, this team, man, Rajon Rondo is on the depth chart. DeAndre Jordan is on the depth chart. Dwight Howard is on the depth chart. Carmelo Anthony is on the depth chart. Russell Westbrook is on the depth chart. This is how, a team. How much do they win? Like, how how much do they win the 2000? 2000- 
14 NBA championship by. <laughs> like, this oh, they is sweep a it. Yeah, sweep. Murder. Easy like, sweep. Yeah, that's that's a do not lose a game in the playoffs. E- yes, yeah, that's absolutely. a safe state yeah. note. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Murderous um, team. So basically, I guess where I'm at with this guy is, you know, the their price is so is so generous in, in terms of their actual probability of winning the title that there should create that should create value elsewhere in the West um, because they probably kind of land in that four or five range, uh, and uh, I doubt that they put themselves through the play-in type of scenario that they had last year. Um, and I think if you want to bet the Lakers, just wait for the playoffs because I was actually kind of surprised. Like there was not a lot of market support for them last year. Like you could get like a, other than maybe the after the one impressive bounce back game they had against the Suns, then like the prices all started to kind of flip. Yeah. Yeah. But that didn't last very long at all. Like the market was pretty cool on them heading into yeah. last year's playoffs. You could get some favorable prices. No one was afraid to write a bet on the Lakers. Um, and honestly, like I don't see the much that changing much between now and the playoffs this year. So I think you can be as patient as you like. You can see how healthy this team is come April before you get involved with the Lakers at all. Uh, and I think ultimately what that means is whoever your uh, team of choices in the West, you probably need to grab some now because those numbers are going to get a lot shorter. Yeah, pick, pick, pick your poison out there. I'm just whoever. Where does Lou, Lou Dort play? Actually, one other real thing, quick thing That's I want to say guy. about the West. There's that. also there's also not really an emergency to go grab the team that you like in the West now. You can actually wait about a month. Oh, you too late. You already did. Just Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma City. Oh. oh wow, jeez, you got a big uh, uh, Alexia. Uh, I can't remember even how to pronounce this. Poku, we got a we got a Poku fan here, yeah. Andy Mollett or Poku fan. Um, the uh, the Lakers start the season super duper duper soft. They yeah. play the Thunder twice. They play the Rockets twice in like the first ten games. Um, they play a bunch of other games that you know with teams that they're uh, you know you know Suns Warriors. Um, you know that they played a bunch of preseason games against early. So you know they realistically they should have a decent start to the season um, where I think you're going to be able to do some selling high on them is going to come like November. And then again in December as their schedule starts to get a lot tougher. Um, And at that point, that's probably the buy low spot on anyone else in the West who you think has shown promise. All right. I dig it. That was, I'm glad, I'm glad I wasn't like just sometimes I ask questions to you in the NBA drew and you have to tell me why I'm dumb. Like you do it, you do it in a nice way every time. Like, here, here's all the things you're missing, Andy. So I'm glad you're both kind of in agreement with me there. It's like I don't know if this works. Um, back to other stuff I don't understand about the NBA, and I'm just going to put these two questions together, and we'll just have a big conversation on like how we're treating these teams. Maybe and maybe there's more than two teams involved. I think the Timberwolves are probably a third team at least that you need to talk about in this. But like I wrote down, what's the deal with uh, ben Simmons and what happens there and like are you are you worried what kind of adjustments do you need to make there have you already and like is Kyrie just not going to play and does that matter like that team is that team still on par with Milwaukee even without him I mean you can obviously you can see what their prices are they're a heavy favorite I believe to win the east they're actually minus money right now minus 108 your second favorite obviously being the Bucks closer to four to one which that's probably still a little. That's probably still a little much for the Nets. But uh, basically, what's the deal with that? What's going to happen? And how are you going to? How are you approaching that? Like from a you know a macro standpoint with the league right now. Okay, I'll start with Josh first, Greg. I'll start with the Kyrie one quick, um, because Brooklyn without Kyrie is probably for me anyway where the market has them right now. Uh, I think they are genuinely that much better than any team in the NBA with KD and Harden. And if you just chuck in Kyrie, I think they probably shrink a little bit in pricing. Um, Not much. I think the pricing is kind of one of those situations where they've just sort of stuck it in the middle, right? Like they'll make a small adjustment if Kyrie comes back and starts playing. And if he doesn't come back, then, you know, maybe you're getting a slightly worse price and you might get a little bit more inflation on them in a couple of months time. But 
nothing drastic. I, I think that, yeah, that they're comfortably for me still the one seed in the East and the team to beat in the NBA, um, presuming the other two superstars stay healthy. Like, I, you know, I still get flashbacks to that series against the Bucks where I'm just like, if Harden was healthy, Milwaukee probably doesn't win that series. And, you know, Durant's yeah. giant foot wasn't on the line with that exactly. crazy shot late. Like that was that was such a good game too. Yeah. So n- losing losing Kyrie, not the end of the world, or not the end of the world. Yeah, the, the edge, Philly edge is, of the world for him. The Philly one is, is interesting. Um, the Simmons situation is super interesting. I've kind of downgraded Philadelphia a little bit for it. Um, you know, I don't even know if he's going to be available to start the season. Like it's still really weird and under wraps and. If he comes back, I'm not sure I necessarily upgrade them either um, because we don't know what his role is going to be. And I would find it really hard to believe that they just inject him straight back in the starting lineup and go about, you know, the same rotations and the same sort of level of play that they had during the regular season last year with him. So that one's a, a, a sort of watch and wait, I think, for me in terms of let's just see how it all pans out. Let's see what Philly is. Uh, without him, if he's not there. And then even if he's there, let's see what they are with this version of Ben Simmons um, before we start to sort of assess exactly what this team is. And maybe, Drew, you can help me with, like, the timeline just because maybe I didn't follow along close enough. But, like, the Simmons stuff, it's like it's like you drunkenly broke up with your girlfriend and then the next day you just show up for dinner with her parents and pretend like to what, happened? what happened? Like he just, yeah, he just like, he just came back. He's eligible to play. And like, he's in the building. What, like, what, what is that? What exactly is happening uh, in the front office with him? Right. Or does, does nobody just know? Is that where, is everyone where I'm at? Well, the like, front office, I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, the front office is basically like, we're not going to move you for 30 cents on the dollar. Come back. Mm-hmm. Like, Let's you know get re you know reintegrate with the team you know play play your way into um, you know some sort of uh, value and we'll make an honest effort to trade you. That's my guess as to how that communication has gone down. And he's probably been like, okay, fine, uh, I'm back. Uh, it's going to be awkward, um, but I'm going to try to make this works. And then I want you to move me. Um, ultimately, I don't know that there's a huge demand for him. Uh, he's obviously playing, he's got some confidence issues <laughs> to put it politely. Um, and, uh, a, oh, by the way, um, you want a little, uh, preseason betting nugget, uh, Detroit Pistons tonight playing the 76ers and there will n- be no Embiid, um, no Ben Simmons, no Danny Green, no Tobias Harris, no, no Matisse Thibel, no Shake Milton. Uh, and, uh. Yes, it'll be the Andre Drummond show against the Pistons. So um, Pistons are minus two in that game, and uh, I think that's still a relatively valuable play. But we will put that little uh, betting nugget aside. Um, we'll get to bet the Pistons as a favorite. Like, just to do that feels right. <laughs> and But ultimately, uh, the I do think Embiid is still an enormous question mark that he plays the full season just i mean even more so in my mind than a guy like anthony davis like i can see anthony davis missing time with like getting like like paper cuts type of stuff uh Embiid, i worry about like the Widowmaker injury <laughs> you know like like any given time out like he could have the Widowmaker kind of deal and so i'm not ever really going to get involved with the sixers in the futures market and i think really his tail risk of him going down that unwinds this entire team. Forget about the Ben Simmons stuff. Like, if you don't have a healthy Joel Embiid come to the playoffs, you are you have no shot uh, of making a run. So, um, fascinated to see how they handle uh, the Simmons situation. But the Embiid health and keeping an eye on how he is performing is much more impactful to their ultimate, uh, uh, you know, how they play out the season. Um, Brooklyn and Kyrie to me is similar. Like if Kyrie's out there, they are so clearly the best in the East that it's not even worth betting into the East futures market. But uh, there's no guarantee he'll be on the team. And there's no guarantee that he'll play in the playoffs. And there's no guarantee he'll play at all. Um, right now, obviously, there's a huge communication issue going on with the between teammates. Uh, it sounds yeah. like at least Harden and Durant aren't especially loving how this is going down. And those guys wield a ton of power with the Nets overall in terms of how what they do with that roster. And so they may say, okay, get what we can get for them. Let's move on. Um, and at that point, they're still 
absolutely loaded like all of like the depth pieces around like it where you can look at the lakers choices to backfill around the stars and ask questions the choices the nets made to backfill around stars it's like oh wow oh that's interesting oh oh that's interesting that might work that's a good fit that's a guy that you can count on right like it, it the backfill does look pretty well done so the nets are still going to win a ton of games regardless of however much the big three play they'll they ought to load manage the shit out of durant and harden um so that those guys are healthy because you need both of them obviously as we learned this last year um and they can they could should still be the favorites in the east assuming that all that goes swimmingly uh durant and harden by the way getting they're getting up there age-wise like it's the same story with lebron but lebron seems to defy age uh, we'll learn if these guys can also defy age, but uh, they're getting up there. And uh, obviously, Harden's lived a little bit harder life, so we'll see how he uh, how he ages into the uh, you know into the later years of his career. Um, but yeah, that the question I want to answer here from Ski uh, and good to see Ski, good great NBA handicapper Ski Profit. Is there value on another team to win the Atlantic Division with all the drama going on? I think so, and I have bet into that market. And I took uh, a super duper long shot price on the Toronto Raptors. They're 33 to 1 to win the Atlantic right now. Um, I know I'm not giving a ton of respect to the Celtics, Josh's team, or the Knicks, uh, but uh, I think the Raptors are going to be in this mix. Uh, I like the squad. I like Nick Nurse as a coach. I like that they'll have home court finally this year. I like that they tanked towards the end of last year. Again, kind of going back to my kind of off the top comment about teams that tanked, like, these guys all got a good amount of rest to the end of last season. Like they didn't work that hard in the months of April and May. Uh, and they got a full real off season here to prep. They should be firing coming out of the gate. I'm excited about the Raptors. I think their team total over is probably the best on the board right now. Um, and I think 33 to one for them to win the Atlantic is kind of an insane price. Yeah. Not a bad price. I, I could make a case for Boston. I'm not going to go crazy. <laughs> I was, was going to say rebuttal for Boston. Josh. I'm just going to let you know that I think that there's a world where Boston are the most competitive team in that division outside of obviously the Nets or alongside rather the Nets. Um, last year, I think people forget just how bad Boston had it with injuries and COVID in particular. Like they were ravaged uh, for months at a time. Like there was just no consistency in the lineups whatsoever the roster itself was just a bit of a mismatch as well I mean as soon as you sort of removed the starting five you looked at what was up next and it was just this head scratching like who the hell are they and what can they actually do on a basketball court uh, and you look at what they've done in, in retooling that roster and now it's like the first two players off the bench are probably going to be Al Horford and Dennis Schroeder and that's an immediate upgrade Next man up after that, probably Josh Richardson, assuming, you know, depending on what they do with the starting lineups. But that is already a much better rotation. And as long as you're kind of getting Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum to play, you know, 70, 75 games this regular season, I think it could come to the end of the season where you look back at the Boston Celtics win total and it's kind of like, why did I not bet the over here? I mean, they based on sort of the two even the three years if you want to go that far prior to last season like this total would have seemed extremely short for the celtics and i just think that the overreaction off of what happened last season has given them this really short uh sort of regular season win total and then this really inflated price to win the division where um all it could take is just basically health and consistency and you're going to see like an immediate upgrade um in terms of the team performance and and that defense for me, I'm I'm pretty confident is going to be a top five defense by the end oh, of this wow. season. Interesting, yeah. Time Lord. Yeah, Defensive Time Lord. Of the year. Look, it's the first time that like the Celtics don't have to hide a point guard defensively in forever. Like from Isaiah Thomas to Kyrie Irving Good to point. Kemba Walker, they've always had that liability on the floor, and now it's Marcus Smart starts. Are we expecting Marcus Smart to make it through the season on the Celtics roster? Because there's a little tension between him and the rest of those guys in the locker room. He's a tough guy to get along with. Yeah, I, I hear that. Uh, I think he does. I think they do, to be honest. 
I think it might. Be I would a have prepped bit... more Celtic stuff if I knew we had Australian Bill Simmons on. <laughs> this is I, I, Drew. Drew only let me know that you're a Celtics guy a bit ago, but oh, and it's funny. There's a bunch of these teams in the middle. I kind of I zeroed in on a team apparently none of you guys like. I looked at the Bulls. They're kind of in that same price range. I just I got excited by their lineup. Like, well, real quick, of, uh, before moving off of the Celtics, what, let me ask. Yeah. I'll ask Josh a question then about Celtics before we move to the Bulls. Uh, are we, what is your expectation coaching wise? Is this an upgrade over over Brad Stevens? Because Brad Stevens pretty clearly always had the right play for the right time, but wasn't getting the most out of that team. Let's be honest. Like over the yeah. balance of, yeah. I mean, is this potentially an upgrade? think it might be like the one question i think i remember just stewing over and i could go into like this deep dark hole for hours is like is brad stevens a good coach like i still don't know genuinely time out. are we sure he's good yeah i genuinely <laughs> don't know um so it could be a coaching upgrade i mean you know he comes with this really like high reputation for being a great defensive coach which is why i genuinely think we'll be a top five defense because the pieces are already there um, so if he can sort of implement them in the right way, I think that, yeah, that sets a really good foundation. And for me, when I look at like, just as like a quick sort of sidetrack, but when I look at like regular season win totals and especially for these mid tier teams, it's kind of like, I start with the defense and I'm like, which of these teams can, can give me sort of, you know, a top tier defensive production over the course of a full season. I think that's the baseline, right. And like for the Celtics, if I have them ranked sort of around that five, four, five mark for defensive efficiency over a full season and then you look at that win season total and it's like well you're not really asking for them to have to do too much offensively if the defense does carry the large portion of the weight here for them to clear the number um so yeah look to answer your question though i think it might be a coaching upgrade um but i think at worst you're going to get the same coach um i don't think it's a drop off and, and that's kind of all that i'm concerned with i'd forgotten about the I'm just laughing like to myself about who was it that sent out the tweet about how excited yeah. they were for uh, the first, it was the first black coach in Celtics history. Uh, yeah. And then it, it, tur it turned out, it, it was like the third or fourth, like, buddy, you weren't even close. <laughs> who did say that? I, it was uh, maybe B Williams. Was it? I think oh, it yeah, was. Might yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you it might was, be right. I think it was, yeah, think yeah, it was yeah, Williams. Like yeah. that, that, yeah. that tweet was instantly just ravaging. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buddy. Like you're you're missing some pretty big names <laughs> like the history yeah, of the storied Celtics yeah. franchise. Jay, Jay Williams, yep, that was yeah. it. They that are known was... for having the first ever African-American head coach in all professional sports in the United States. And and that's, yeah, that was a whiff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we literally only had one. to go back like to the previous coach as well. So it's not even like you have to cast his memory. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly like Rivers was like right when yeah, he was in the league. Well, yeah. yeah, even even as like Andy who doesn't yeah. watch basketball, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Doc Rivers coached there. And then I went and looked like, and yeah, it's like, oh my god, That's they right. had the first black coach. And, and it's like this is this is wild. So and, and I don't know a bunch about him. Sounds like Josh has some faith in him. And okay, it, co coaching, you know, obviously coaching is two parts. It is the X's and O's, and you know, calling the play out of the timeout and having the right lineups and all that. But also it, the most motivator of men and what have you and keeping the team together and sometimes when you have people like marcus smart that does become difficult so it'll be uh be interesting to watch them i guess yeah like i said before we got back into celtics there i, I zoned in on the bulls just based on the roster am i wrong like is this not a good roster or we just don't know yet like uh, damar and uh zach i guess i'm not Lori's not what we thought he would be like everybody got excited about Lori for a little bit but then uh, is this the good ball? And then uh, Vucevic, like that's right, that's good, right? And Kobe White, like this is a good a good team to maybe gel and do something, or am I just dead wrong? Like this is the team I got excited about when I looked at it today. I'm a Bulls fan today. Is that am I dead? <laughs> um, well, I, or Laurie's like, not even on the Bulls anymore. I guess. No, well, I was just gone. gonna say like yeah, Markkinen's <laughs> over in Cleveland, so I mean yeah. he could be bad somewhere else, and it won't impact the Chicago. So that's a win. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that was the weakest spot out of that, and he's not even there. Good. Well, like I actually think the guy that's there now, Patrick Williams, playing the four, is probably going to be, as strange as it sounds, one of the most important pieces for them this season oh, because sure. he's he's the most elite defender on that team, and and. This is a team that uh, defensively has a lot of question marks around it, and that kind of what scares me a little bit with them. Um, 
they can look all flashy and up-tempo and great and scoring the basketball, but if they can't get stops, I mean, it's kind of all for nothing, really. Uh, even the offensive side of things, I'm a little bit skeptical to jump in and say that this is going to be a great team because the names are great, but like you look at every player individually and how they play, A, they're all sort of high usage guys, right? Like Vucevic was a high usage guy in Orlando. DeMar was high usage guy in San Antonio. Um, Zach Levine's always been a high usage guy and is the guy in Chicago. So firstly, it's kind of like, how are they going to all share the ball and what are their individual roles within the team? Um, and then two is, this is, let's not forget, I mean, whether you like it or not, this is like the day and age of the three-point shot. Zach Levine, I guess you can kind of make an argument that he is a three-point shooter. I don't quite buy it just yet. I want to see it over a longer period of time. But away from that, I mean, you got a lot of guys that love to live in the mid-range, to attack the basket, um, to clog the lane, essentially. And yeah. do you, you know, is Lonzo really a three-point catch-and-shoot guy? He showed it last season. I mean, is that is that just an outlier, though, or is that like the norm for him now? So there's just a lot of question marks around Chicago and way too too many for me to definitively say that I believe in this team or even that I don't believe in this team. Um, but I think that, yeah, just for me, again, I always start with like the defense when sort of trying to project a team over a full season as to where they might sit. And uh, this Who, is a team the that, rookie? that was uh, the high end rookie. Who was their who was their top pick this year? That's what I'm blanking on too. Was it Williams? Is no, every Williams is the answer to everything Williams? It was, it was two years ago. <laughs> Patrick Williams was, yeah, he was, he was a high end rookie from, from the previous year. He was season. the fourth overall. Yeah, he was them. a Florida State yeah. kid a couple years ago. I just I was blanking on who they had this year at all. They they do have Alex Caruso. They do have Alex Caruso yeah, off the bench. Yeah. He's, yeah he's That's pretty amazing. Uh no, I, I I the bulls are a mystery to me. I think if you made me take a position i'm probably saying under for them at 42 and a half even though i completely respect levine is like the he's like a he's like a legit star yeah, um there's really nothing wrong with his game at all uh but the pieces around him are a little weird vucevic and uh derozan both kind of occupy the mid the you know the you know that middle distance neither guy is going to hit you get threes for you they're all both going to try to you know, get to the same sort of spots on the floor to get their offense, which is a little weird. Um, I don't know anything about what Patrick Williams is ultimately going to give you offensively, maybe nothing. Uh, so it does really like, like their offense really revolves around Lonzo ball, making threes and Levine creating. Uh, and then the other guys just kind of alternating in that mid range. And that's spooky. Um, and yeah, the defense is a huge question as well. I, I, I don't get the warm, fuzzy feelings that they've found the right ingredients to put together to be a competitive team. Obviously a trick question that you guys just whiffed on. They did not have a first round pick. <laughs> I, I Dan, was just saying, Dan, 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 Dan yeah. told me just now. I didn't, I, I yeah. it's not like you were I thinking of Patrick this. Williams who went fourth overall that catched some big bets for people who had him like 20. I was going to say, I, re overall. I remember. That's why you're, so you're remembering like, for <laughs> sure. Like I, I know more about the NBA drafts. Because we bet so much on that than the actual NBA, it's way more fun running those through for the like the six weeks before the draft started. It feels like so. All right, close it out with some rapid, rapid fire, yeah. basically on some some teams that maybe you actually have an opinion on. Sounds like maybe I'm just ahead of the market on Chicago, and you guys are going to be <laughs> feeling awful silly when I should actually just bet some small Chicago futures. And then if they if they're bad, I'll just forget all about them. If they're good, we'll bring up this moment here where I was way <laughs> ahead of the market. I mean, we are, we already touched on some of the you know some of the top top teams, but kind of an underrated, overrated. The Warriors, Ooh. real quick, like just are, are they going to be back to a team that's competing? Drew, do Josh, it. Josh, go ahead. Oh, I don't nobody know. Nobody wants. Oh man, there. yeah, the, the Warriors. <laughs> so hard. This is so uh, hard. Yeah, they're a really hard one to uh, kind of position. I mean, I, I, I'm i not buying into, like, I see a lot of people just assuming that, hey, Clay will be back in January and that's all they need and they're going to be, you know, immediately back into the upper echelon of, of conversation. And I'm not buying it to that extent. Like, I still think that even with Clay back and, and building off of last season, there's still a couple of notches below that. Let's not forget this was a play play in team last season, yeah. right? Like, yeah. How much yeah. do you really expect them to 
to jump and grow in a season. And, yeah. you know, a lot of last season as well, I don't think it was necessarily like that some of those results and some of those poor outings and, you know, that those rough stretches, if you will, I don't think they were outliers. I think that's no. kind of like where this team is right now. Um, and then Clay's not back till January now, Steve Kerr saying. Um, that's a fair yeah. chunk of games without him. And then you've got to sort of give him time to acclimatize and, and you know, get back into the groove and feel with things a little bit. If I had to like stick a number next to him, I'm going to say they're probably a six seed. Maybe they just missed the plane side of things and avoid mm -hmm. the seven, eight seed. But I, I think five is the absolute ceiling for them for me. I, um, is Steve Kerr, are we sure he's good? Um, are we going to do that every year? <laughs> well, I wonder about Steve Kerr, really. Uh, they eventually figured some, a lot of important things out over the balance of last season. And Steph Curry, if he had played the way he played the last half of the season over the full season, he's probably your MVP. And I think he can be that same player this year, which means, for me, the, they are underrated regular season team, overrated playoff team. I don't love this team's ability to navigate playoff series in a very competitive Western Conference at all the way that they're rostered. Um, and I'm not expecting much from Clay, but I think they make their win total. I think they're probably competitive to win the Pacific. Um, like I got them at like four plus 450 ish or something like that to win the Pacific. I think that should be closer to plus 350. Um, do you think, do you think though that like, seeding is important for them like i think health is obviously the priority right so that's kind of my question yeah they, they come play, the you're the gonna season. run steph curry into the ground either way though like they're not gonna yeah. load manage curry and curry is kind of the secret sauce for that team winning regular season games i think um oh yeah, yeah of course so um, I'll, I'll, like yeah well no i was gonna say like i took position on the suns to win the division Ooh, um interesting. because i think that a they're going to be a great regular season team um, I think they got better than what they were last season. And I don't think last season was an outlier for them. I think that's kind of what this team is now firmly established as. Um, and just because I think regular season seeding for them matters so much more than it does for the Lakers or for the Warriors. Whereas for those guys, it's like with the experience that they have and the superstars they have, health is kind of the priority. For Phoenix, it's like we need that top two seed in the West to sort I'm of give flip, us. A I'm, I'm going to flip this around on you and say, true, you one, can't rally yeah. the valley if you're not in the valley. You can't rally the valley if you're not in the valley. That's true. Uh, I'm going to flip this around on you though and say that some of the veterans, some of the you know the there's a there may be a little overconfidence or in that locker room in terms of their ability to do it again. Uh, and uh, I also think the uh, um, the Warriors need to sell tickets in that arena and they need to win a lot of regular season games to do that and i think Good it will point. i think there is going to be a heavy duty pump the pump the tires on steph curry get him some serious um you know some serious regular season accolades I mean, he, he's he'll, he'll be first team all nba this year he probably in the mvp race very very likely and i, you, I, you know i just i get the sense that rapid fire Okay, yeah. You went with I, the I most picked, interesting team first. I picked a complicated team. <laughs> you I did the pick most a complicated, complicated one. All right. If you go Cavaliers, we're both going to be like, yeah. <laughs> right, this, yeah this, okay. this will be actual rapid fire. Okay. The way the, the way the NBA lottery works now, the worst three teams get the same percentage chance to get that number one lottery ball. Who are those three teams? And is the Lord, obvious Laurie Markkinen-led Cavaliers in the conversation now that I know where he plays? I don't know if they are. Uh, I, I think they might They might Magic actually avoid. One. Yeah. yeah. Magic number that, one, Thunder are in there. Rockets are in there. That's probably uh, your top three. I, 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 have, I have Houston in there. I'm going Houston Magic and then Timberwolves just because I, I want oh, another. Oh, stop. We get we don't, we don't again we don't have we want it, we should talk Timberwolves we should dive into this team because the market has been very hot on them and it's been tough to explain um, somebody out there very confident that they're going to bounce back this season with Cat having a full regular off season um, I don't I don't I don't see it personally but there's somebody out there that believes heavily in that Timberwolves team so I'm watching I will be watching almost every one of their early season games to see if I'm seeing it because right now I'm not. Yeah. Um, what about you, Josh? Also, Relative to market, Timberwolves overrated, yeah, underrated. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of thinking they might be a little bit underrated. 
Uh, I mean, they're they're rated pretty low, so I mean, yeah, and, and that's with. why, right? Like, I don't have them sort of quite at the level of the teams that they've been priced next to um, in terms of the win total. I have them a little bit higher than that. I haven't gotten involved in in the betting of them because I think that they very well could be an absolute catastrophe, and like they're probably a cat injury away from being the worst team in the NBA. That's but fair. Anthony Edwards came a long way in the back half of last season. And maybe there's like this assumption, just touching on what you were saying, Drew, in like the, the strong market support, maybe there's this assumption that he could take another step. Uh, and when you sort of couple that with a healthy cap, um, you know, does D'Angelo Russell also just sort of accept his role a little bit more? And if you need less of him, he becomes better. Um, you know, that, that in itself might just be enough to get over what's a pretty shy, shy total. All right, two teams that met in the first, and I'm, I'm going to pair them together. Um, did they meet right away? But I, I believe it. Atlanta and the Knicks, Ooh. fun teams from last year. Obviously, they're. I think they want to say where where are the Knicks for? Uh, the Knicks are a lot lot further down. The Hawks are around forty to one to win the title. Obviously, the Knicks are about double that. Not expected to maybe do what they did last year. Where do you have them as far as relative to the market? I'll go first. Hawks. I think are properly rated. I do think that they are contender in the East, at least final four uh, kind of deal. Uh, Knicks, I think are overrated. And I think Thibodeau running those guys into the ground last season will ultimately have consequences this year. Yeah. I'm with you on both. I think the Hawks are legitimately top four established in the East. I think we see a backward step from the Knicks. Um, Good luck to Thibodeau as well. Trying to uh, run Kemba Walker into the ground. You're not going to get very far there. (laughs) <laughs> all right last one and then i gotta go or you'll get, or you'll Chinese succeed food. very quickly <laughs> yeah and yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, when you're succeeding at running someone in the ground it's not a good thing all right, yeah last one i gotta pick up some chinese for the wife because it's friday baby and it will be the milwaukee bucks because i'm actually interested in them second favorite in the east i believe that's correct right like yeah. they're yeah, they're about they're about four to one to win the East. The next closest is Miami at eleven or twelve. And then you have the Celtics, 17, 18, somewhere in there. So there's a decent then right around there, also the Hawks. A decent gap, but the Bucks are second fiddle right there. I mean, are they closer? Basically, the answer is are they closer to the Nets than that or not? I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Um, you know, they were the beneficiary, if you will, of injuries last season, as oh, yeah. basically both teams were. So that, that made the finals, that is. Um, and, like, I just can't shrug what I saw in the early uh, stages of that series between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Like, I can't forget how Brooklyn basically had them throttled, really. And so for me, the pricing is, is fair. And I think they are a clear two. Like, I think it's a clear one, a clear two, and then a clear drop-off in the East. So, yeah. I think the Bucks are underrated in the futures market. I think that the sentiment of they got it, they only won because of injuries, is the kind of sentiment that after a team wins their first title kind of fuels them to push hard coming out of the gate the next season, which means I think the Bucks probably have you know a little bit of chip on their shoulder through the months of october november december which uh gets them to like say i don't know 25 and 2 24 and you know three kind of a start to the season at which point uh their price to win the east their price to win the title is nowhere close to eight to one um so if you're gonna take the approach of filling out a portfolio i think you bet bucks now i think you bet nets then yeah eight 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 point three eight or nine nine point three eight decimal odds. We'll talk decimal for Josh here wow. to win the uh, to win the uh, the whole shebang right now. That's yeah. not a bad price. And yes, yeah, ski ski brings sure. up if Giannis really has a jump shot. Shot now it's over. I mean that was just one set of clips, but if he's going to be smooth from all over the field. That's scary. He's like, oh, you might be the best player of all time. All of a sudden, that's terrifying. Um, <laughs> all right, I do I do have to run here. Uh, right. Shit on shit on one coach, quick. Drew, shit on a coach. Uh, Jason Kidd, worst hire of the offseason. Uh, and the flip side, Rick Carlisle, just a brilliant hire by the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Pacers win more games than the Mavericks. That's my hot take for you. Maybe I should have done yeah. Say something nice about another <laughs> coach. Yeah, Josh, Josh, you want to you wanna I, I, coach I, and then 
I won't double down on Jason Kidd, but that is just the worst hire. Um, but I'll also <laughs> shit on, on Doc Rivers because it's Doc Rivers and he's just not going to get it done in the playoffs ever. So wherever he is, your team's screwed. When they have a gif of you making that face and it's very popular, like that's that's for sure a bad sign. Yeah, not good. <laughs> I love that one. So. It's a good, right, it's well, a good gif. Yeah. Good job. If you're listening and you can't see the screen because you did this in podcast form, Josh can be found at punt underscore school, like a punter, I guess, because they don't punt in basketball. You shouldn't. Kids uh, in the stands. I feel like I need to like just let everyone know over in your side of the world. Like punt is basically wager over here. Yeah. In Australia. Like, just just as a you know yeah. punters. Yeah. Josh is a classic basketball punter. He's he just also a punts on. He also punts rugby. He punts netball, probably. Yeah, all, <laughs> a little all bit of netball here and there. Yeah. So at yeah. punt underscore school, he does a bunch of NBA content. I'm sure you can find that all over his Twitter feed. He's uh one of the guys in the basketball chat we always talk about. So I uh, I'm listening to him all year because I need lots of NBA opinions in my ear holes. And obviously, I listen to Drew too. You can find us right where you always find us. But yes, Josh, thanks a lot for your time. And uh, yeah, fun bonus content. We're looking forward to the season. And best of luck this season. I've got a. I'm gonna hit the old music here. Do it. Still getting used to this. It still does take a little getting used to this old school music, especially because it's like Indian summer here. It is hot. It's like actual summer in Australia. They're in a whole different hemisphere. I suppose it would be spring. Yeah, good point. It is. Uh, it's been a while. It's just after spring. the vernal e- equinox. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>